Hey, I hope you're having a great day today. Welcome to Daily Dose. Hope you join us today as we dive into scripture and we take a look at what God's word has to say for us today. Hey, how are you doing today? It is November 21st and welcome to Daily Dose. Want to learn about somebody new today? Uh, I actually just came across this man this week as I began studying for today's Daily Dose. And I'm honestly kind of surprised that I've never really come across this man before. Uh, This man's name is Johannes Ocolampadius. uh, And that is a mouthful. We're going to call him John... uh, uh, Oko Lampadius, uh, or we're just going to call him John because that's a lot easier. Uh, John was well known among the other leaders of the Reformation. In fact, when you get into a lot of the uh, leaders of the Reformation, you have Martin Luther, uh, Theodore Beza, Ulrich Zingali, John Calvin. Uh, there, there's so many things. And when you look at Johann Oko Lampadius, um, there's not, I've never heard of this man before, uh, it, it, which is astounding given my study, uh, into the reformation. Uh, many of you might know, and you might not know, I have a little bit of an obsession with the reformation historically. Uh, I study the reformation. I have read, uh, and, and I say it's not to boast. I've read probably close to, uh, a hundred books on the reformation, um, and I say that not to boast, but just to show you, like I read a lot. Uh, many of you know I read uh, probably about five books a month, uh, if not more. And so uh, I read a lot, I, I study a lot, and so uh, I've read a lot. And and uh, Johann Oko Lampadius, John Oko Lampadius, uh, was a important reformer and contemporary uh, to Luther. Uh, he was born in Germany in 1482, and he was uh, an extremely uh, intelligent child. Um, it, it, it's uh, it said he began writing Latin poetry at the age of 12, and very soon after, uh, by his early teenage years, he had mastered the language of Greek. Um, according to Erasmus, the he was the foremost intellect of his day. And so Ocolampadius was the foremost expert of uh, a lot of things. And so this man was extremely young uh, in that truly uh, separates Ocolampadius from a lot of his contemporaries uh, because a lot of them were, uh, they were, they were studied, but they weren't what they would be considered the intellectual uh, person of the age. What's very interesting is Ocolampadius began as a uh, humanist. Uh, he was a big humanist. And humanism is the idea that man can find morality without God, that without any kind of divine uh, intervention, without any kind of divinus, uh, 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 divine intervention, that man will find uh, their own moral compass essentially and 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 I highly 
debate that because uh, without God, we can have no morality. Uh, but that's a that's a different podcast entirely. Uh, and so uh, Ocolampadius uh, was the second leading Hebrew scholar in the German speaking world by the time he became an early adult. Now, I want you to understand that somebody who's probably 10 years younger than I am uh, is the leading Hebrew, is one of the second leading Hebrew scholars, the, the top leading Greek scholar by his early 20s uh, in Germany. And so um, he, uh, he would begin studying at the University of, uh, of Tibugen, uh, he became friends with uh, with with so many uh, different people in that. In fact, uh, when in in fifteen fifteen, uh, Ocolampadius was called to uh, Basel, which was a a province in Germany, and uh, he received a Doctor of Divinity from the from the university, and he began his pastorate at the cathedral uh, in Basel, and, and, and so uh, Ocolampadius partnered with Erasmus in publishing a Greek New Testament. Uh, he actually worked in translating, uh, in working with Erasmus in a lot of this, uh, in a trans, um, in, uh, translating, I should say this thing. And so Ocolampadius was a fantastic man. Uh, and he, he said, well, that as he was an assistant, the project began being Erasmus's first, uh, uh, edition of the Greek new Testament in which, uh, Ocolampadius wrote the epilogue. And so, uh, at this time, a humanist scholar began to see for the first time, the trueness of the Bible. And so uh, Erasmus was also a, uh, a humanist scholar. He also remained with the Roman uh, communion. But Ocolampadius began to see the errors that were, as he was reading the Bible, as he was translating the Bible uh, into Greek, he began to see a lot of the problems that existed uh, in the modern church's thinking. And so this is the same time, which this is 1515. Remember, Martin Luther nailed his thesis in 1517. And so we are in the exact same time span as Martin Luther. And so uh, Ocolampadius and Luther began uh, were on the same wavelength. They began seeing these problems around the same time. Uh, and so this spiritual turmoil resulted in uh, Ocolampadius becoming a monk, just like Luther did. Um, and, and he says, I have lost the monk, but I have found the Christian. Uh, and as soon as, almost as soon as he joins this, uh, this monk, uh, tribunal, he ends up leaving for this. And so, uh, eventually in, in 1520, uh, he would enter, uh, this was in 1520, by the way, he entered the, the, the monk monastery. Uh, and so in 15, uh, in 1522, he returned to Basel as a preacher, and he even began teaching theology at the local university, uh, which he would then he, he actually kept uh, until he died. But in 1522, something else also happened. He met the man 
uh, named Ulrich uh, Svengali. Uh, who was a pastor in Zurich. And if you don't know Zvengali, uh, he was the man who, uh, who began the, uh, the great movement that began uh, missions movement, essentially. Uh, because as he was traveling as a young kid, he began to see uh, and hear things. And as he stood in front of a painting of the crucified uh, Christ, uh, underneath it said, all this I have done for you, what have you done for me? And, and it broke Zvengali's heart. And so he, he gave his heart to Jesus. He came back. Uh, there were some Moravian uh, uh, outcasts. And he took them in. He taught them about Jesus. And then he sent them out on mission. And so uh, there was uh, something that happened that eventually he began this is going to sound weird. He began congregational singing, uh, and, and, and communicants would come, they would participate in congregational singing. Now this is completely new. And, and so this is in 1522 after the thesis have been nailed after the, 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 the beginnings of Martin Luther's challenges to the Roman Catholic empire. Uh, and so by 1529, uh, uh, Ocolampadius would actually abandon mass mainly together. Uh, and so uh, about this time, God honored Ocolampadius and his church with uh, something absolutely spectacular. Um, and, and so when we talk about this idea of congregational singing, it was normal for a choir to come in uh, and, and sing and give uh, short responses in Latin and what we would call uh, liturgical moments. And if you're in a traditional church, you might have this moment of liturgy where the pastor will read uh, something about a hymn and then the congregation will answer. This is where this comes from. This is where we get liturgy from is around this time period where somebody would read and somebody would respond. But on Easter Sunday uh, of around 1529, uh, the congregation broke out in song and they were so overwhelmed with what has happened. Now, understand how taboo this is. Uh, Ocolampadius was leading the people and, and teaching the people the Bible. He was teaching people that uh, that God was uh, that um, <laughs> that transubstantiation didn't exist. Uh, that the Lord's Supper. Um, uh, was to be within their church. Uh, there were abuses in the Roman Catholic Church's confessionals. Uh, there were uh, there were idol worship of Mary. Uh, he became vigorous in all this. He's teaching his congregation this. And what happens is his congregation begins to listen. And his congregation begins to see, and they begin to essentially challenge traditionalism for the sake of traditionalism. Now, if you walk into a church today... It is not strange for the congregation to sing. Uh, you open your hymnal or you have the lyrics on the screen and you sing a song. Well, in Ocolampadius' day, this was unheard of. You sat in a church, you were silent. You listened to the pastor in uh, every once in a while, uh, the pastor would read something. And if you were in the choir, you could say something. You would respond in this liturgy, like I said. But the council absolutely forbid congregational singing. And so... 
This is what happened. The church was so overcome on Easter Sunday. God is moving in their building on Easter Sunday of 1529. God is moving in their building and these people start singing. They start worshiping. They, they get so excited that they are singing, which is highly unheard of in these days. It was great. And so Ocolampadius began every mass with singing. They began to worship together. They began, I, I say mass, they were just regular meetings like we would have. And so, uh, <laughs> How amazing this was. In 1531, however, Oquilampadius would lose uh, Ulrich uh, Zvengali as one of his closest friends uh, in a battle between the Reformed uh, people and the Catholic uh, cantons in Switzerland. Uh, uh, and, and so we often think of the Reformation as a very peaceful time, but it was not. The Catholics and the Protestants went to war. They were fighting. They were actually fighting and killing for their sake because the Catholics could not deal with the heresy that was happening. They could not deal with what they believed was wrong. And so Ocolampadius, uh, the the members, uh, the Moravians of the of 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 uh, uh, of uh, Zurich of Zwingali's group begged Ocolampadius to come and to replace Svengali, but he declined their invitation. He did, he wasn't wanting to replace Svengali. He wanted to just push forward. However, just five weeks after the, the Zurichs, the Moravians, asked Ocolampadius to come, he would fall gravely ill. And Ocolampadius realized that he was dying. Uh, he began with the Lord's Supper, uh, and he told his family that he was dying. And he said to them, he said, This supper is a sign of my real faith in Jesus, my Redeemer. Uh, and there in Basel, he had 10 pastors surround him uh, because he had touched their lives. He had impacted their lives. And Ocolampadius uh, would die on November 24th, 1531. And as he passed away, uh, these pastors that were surrounding him just heard him repeat Psalm 51, one Lord have mercy on me. Oh God, according to thy loving kindness, he would repeat it. Have mercy on me. Oh God, according to thy love kindness, have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your loving kindness. And what happened is as the sun rose on November 24th, Ocolampadius's life departed him. Ocolampadius knew the role which God had called him to, and he faithfully fulfilled it. He called out the church. He, he preached the truth. He would come again and again and again and again. And he uh, would exercise the spiritual gift that he was given. What a man of God. I'm honestly surprised I have never heard of Johannes Ocolampadius before. But I'm so glad that I've gotten to study Ocolampadius' life this week and see uh, all of this uh, wonderful, wonderful thing that he had. This wonderful life that he had. 
one of the last defiances that he had against the church was uh, he married uh, a wife. He took a wife in 1528. And uh, very soon after, uh, she would go on to marry another reformer uh, named Martin Bucer. Martin Bucer was another uh, contemporary contemporary reformer of the day. But Johannes Ocolampadius' life can teach us that God gives us each gifts in which we are using. And so I want you to ask yourself, if you are a child of God, God has given you a spiritual gift. God has given you a gift of something. Are you using it to your full potential today? Are you using it the way that God used the fullness of the potential? Ephesians 4 says that Christ is the head of the body, the church under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Take that today. You are growing. God is growing you. God is growing the gift inside of you. And so maybe one day you'll be written about, just like Johannes Ocolampadius, that you may be known and you may be remembered as a man who loved God so much that he defied all of the government to share truth, to simply share truth. Hope you have a fantastic day and I'll see you tomorrow.